Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to our Sunday night recap of all the games that happened today. I'm really excited about this show because I think we finally figured out all of our little um, wish weird issues from last week uh, with the audio. So I'll be able to actually interact with everybody that's going to come on the show today who's watched these games and studied them. I had the chance to get some eyeballs on some of the games as well so I can interact and find out what's happening. So really excited about that. And um, I think what we're going to do right now is quickly go over all the scores to get the handle on what happened in what order. So let's start off the, the show with, uh, first of all, we had the Raptors and the Kings, and the Raptors hammered the Kings by 15. And then we had the Celtics-Pistons in an interesting game that ended up uh, with the Celtics winning by 10. Um, Nuggets and Pacers was an interesting spirited game with the overtime, and Oladipo looked like Michael Jordan down the stretch, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, the Pelicans were frustrating the Sixers uh, at home and beat them by seven in the high-scoring game. And uh, we had the Timberwolves and the Mavericks. Uh, the Wolves won by five. They hang on. They hung on at the end there. And then we just had the game with the uh, the Knicks holding on as well against the Hawks in some kind of rough, inter not that interesting kind of play. But hey, they uh, it was it was the NBA. They had the basketball bouncing around and uh, and some interesting stuff. So with that, that in mind, let's bring on Vivek Jacob, who is going to talk about. Um, the first game, the Toronto Raptors game. He's that, he is a longtime contributor to uh, B-Ball Breakdown, and um, he writes a lot of stuff for us. And so here we go with Vivek, and he's going to talk to us about his impressions of the Raptors game from earlier today. So, uh, Vivek, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Coach Nick. How are you? I'm great. Great. Great to see you. Great to actually interact with you in person. I think this is like the first time we've ever really, you know, saw each other live, having emailed and whatnot for all this time. So uh, great to have you here. Let's break it down. What were your thoughts and concerns and issues or uh, hopes and dreams from the uh, the Raptors game today? Uh, so for the game today, the Raptors got off to a strong start, 17-2 run to open the game. And I think that sort of set the tone. Uh, I, th I think you could see the players sort of realize that they didn't need to have their A game, so to speak, to close this one out. And you saw them sort of bend but not break the rest of the way. Uh, in the third quarter, it was about 67-64. And then uh, the Raptors went on a big run, 12-1 run that put them, uh, got them some breathing room again. And then they sort of rode out that fourth quarter and put them away. Um, for the Kings, I was pretty disappointed. I was looking forward to seeing what... Darren Fox could do, but he had seven turnovers in just 23 minutes. Pretty disappointing night for him. Uh, Buddy Heal with six turnovers again. Um, so that was disappointing. When the Kings, uh, overall, they turned it over 21 times. You're not going to beat too many teams when you take 14 less shots. So that was a big problem as well. Sure. But, and Buddy looked really good at the beginning. He was really on fire when I was watching that. And he can't, he, he's coming off the bench now, which is interesting. So uh, it looks like he might be finding his rhythm on offense as far as jump shooting, which is interesting. But, yeah, he looks like he's not a rookie, but he kind of had some rookie mistakes. And certainly um, uh, Darren Fox, he, he, looks, he looks like a rookie, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And the turnovers, uh, they're the typical young mistakes uh, that you see, you know, uh, driving into the lane, going up in the air without knowing exactly what he wants to do and then kicking it out uh, in, into opponent's hands. And there were a couple of times where they were uh, trying to run some sets and just on simple uh, sort of handoffs, they're, they're turning the ball over. And that those are things that – those are focus issues um, which sort of transcend from that 17-2 start. And that's where I think the Kings have their biggest issues just – setting that culture of coming in and playing hard every night. And right now it's not there. You know, there's a rumor going on that the Raptors have like some newfangled offense going on. And I'm, I'm not quite sure that's the case. I haven't had a chance to really dive deep into it. So are you seeing any kind of different offense this year? Um, they, they do run some of the, uh, some similar sets in terms of just sort of getting to destination plays. But I think the big change has been DeMar DeRozan's uh, mindset. And he's really looking to kill teams uh, with the pass. That's something that he said before the season started, and he's delivering on that. He's penetrating, he's attracting the defense. And the big transition that you're seeing now is the, the transition from him taking those mid-range twos and kicking them out now for either three-pointers or getting guys uh, cutting into the lane for twos and getting sort of more of that Mori ball action. And so I think that's been the big difference um, and then you look at Lowry and CJ Miles, they've sort of hit a groove now. Uh, they struggled tonight, but 
overall in terms of three-point shooting. They're the two main guys that the Raptors look to over the past month. Uh, Lowry's attempting 9.8 threes a game, and he's shooting 44% uh, from three. Wow. So I think that's really turned around for them. Wow. Okay. That's great. Because yeah, he takes a lot of tough threes generally, and he didn't do very well today with three for 12. But uh, overall, uh, yeah, the, the team struggled under under 30% from three, but it didn't seem to matter. Uh, the Kings are just kind of a mess. They, they have these interesting pieces, and I, I just can't quite put my hand about why they're not doing better. But I suppose it's going to be an uphill climb for Jaeger to kind of change the culture, get these guys to buy in and and figure out probably even like which lineups to play together. I mean, I, Frank Mason to me is in, is really generally impressive. Didn't have a very good game today, uh, but I like him coming off the bench too as a tough, you know, third or fourth guard off the bench. Yeah, I think today it was just a case of Jaeger just trying to find a lineup that would work. You could, uh, looking through uh, the stats, no lineup played more than 10 minutes in this game. And you could just see Jaeger just struggle to find a lineup that could really give him what he was looking for and sort of uh, take away the Raptors' strengths. You could see even when the bench came in for the Raptors, uh, Siakam and Pirtle, even though Siakam struggled uh, offensively, Pirtle and Siakam, they combined for six offensive rebounds, just keeping the ball alive. And again, it just goes back to the uh, Kings' energy and focus. Not really sure. There. And a really quick thing, I was watching the very beginning of the game and they, uh, the Kings were down, I think, 12 nothing maybe and, and down big early. And it's funny because you call a timeout and you try and get regrouped. Every team always comes back from that 12 nothing start. They always do. And I'm almost wondering at this point, like, why even bother calling a timeout? Because you just know what's going to happen anyway, right? No one's ever going to win 100 nothing anyway. So it's like, I don't know. I found that funny. Uh, I suppose maybe the argument is that timeout got them going and they got back in the game. But they actually took the lead at some point, I believe, late in the first, early in the second, right? The yes, they did. Yeah. And, and again, I think that stemmed more to the fact that the Raptors got off to such a strong start that I think they sort of laid off and said, hey, we don't really need our A game tonight. Um, and you look at uh, the game Serge Ibaka had, he came out strong. Uh, Lowry initially uh, made a three with Ananobi as part of that 17-2 run. And then you could just see DeRozan sort of picking them apart, finished with nine assists. And he actually had nine assists through three quarters, didn't have an assist in the fourth. Um, and so they were really getting whatever they wanted. It was, And honestly, if it weren't for uh, the threes not falling at the rate that they have over the past month, it could have been a lot worse. For sure. And I, I wanted to do some shout out to some people I really like on the on the Raptors. I love Van Vliet, the way he plays. Uh, you know, nothing spectacular and crazy, but I love the way he competes. And this guy, Anunobi, like, I don't know much about him at all, but every time I watch him play, even for like the, for a couple minutes, he does something that really makes me excited about it. So I think that he's one of those guys, and I, I just don't know. Really quickly, Norman Powell, what's going on? Why is he not getting more minutes? Norman Powell, so he was the starter uh, at the beginning of the year, and he just struggled to shoot from the outside, and then he had the hip pointer, uh, the right hip pointer injury, and Ananobi stepped into the starting lineup and really did a great job in that role. Um, I think Ananobi fits that starting lineup better just because he's not someone that needs to be catered to offensively. He can just sort of be in the corner, wait for those threes. And defensively, he's bigger than Powell. He, he's more suited to guarding uh, the bigger threes in the league. And so I think that's an advantage for the Raptors as well. Um, Powell has been better since he's returned from that hip pointer injury. And I think it does suit him playing alongside Miles, who complements his game really well as being that sort of catch-and-shoot guy while Powell can penetrate and get to the basket. So I think that opens up some things for him, and he has been better when he's come off the bench since, since the injury. Awesome. Well, a great breakdown, really great information. Tell everybody where they can find you uh, across the Internet. Of course, you can find me here at B-Ball Breakdown. You can find me on Raptors Republic and North Pole Hoops. And uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Vivek M. Jacob. All right. Well, Vivek, Vivek, excuse me. Wait, give me the exact pronunciation. You know what? I, I feel like there's a bit of a negative stigma with Vivek Ranadiv. So yeah, right. I think I'm going I'm, I'm to just go with Vivek. <laughs> Vivek. Okay, you got it. Well, Vivek, thanks for joining us. Great stuff. And we will catch up to you next time. So make sure you everybody out there find him and follow him and read him on bballbreakdown.com for sure. So we will talk to you later, Vivek. Let me ask you something. Have you ever tried online dating? Chances are you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that don't turn into dates. Of course, their picture says a thousand words, but what if those words aren't compatible with you? With all the crazy dating websites out there, 
How do you choose one that really works for you? The answer is eHarmony. I just went to a wedding between two people that met on eHarmony, and it was an incredible bastion of love and respect and a strong foundation built on a shared compatibility that eHarmony helped them find. They use years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. This isn't a shallow hookup site, my friends. This is a site that has made over a million couples very happy, and they can help you too. Right now, you can get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription. Just enter my code COACH at checkout. So stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter my code COACH at checkout. Okay, now we're going to have the next game up, which is the Celtics versus the Detroit, and we are going to bring in Duncan Smith, a newer member of the B-Ball Breakdown podcast, uh, uh, family, excuse me. So let me bring him in here for one second, and then we're going to see how this works. So Duncan Smith, it is a pleasure to have you live on camera and to actually interact with you uh, like this instead of email or DM or Twitter. So how's it going, my man? Oh, that's a great. It's uh, it's a delight to actually be on the pod, be on the, the live stream with you after, you know, watching so many of your listening to so many of your podcasts and watching the periscopes and everything. Um, feels like it's about time. So it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I've been, you know, we've been I've been following you and seeing you around for a while now, too. So it's great to actually interact. And we have a game. We have Boston versus Detroit. And um, what were your initial thoughts about the whole game? Um, you know, I, I thought the Pistons were probably going to be fairly hard up. It's hard to beat a really good team like the Celtics, uh, twice in a season. Um, and, uh, the Pistons didn't really appear to, to have, uh, much of a flow or a rhythm until, uh, late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, honestly. Um, they came out of the locker room in the second half, really flat. I think, uh, the Celtics went on a 10 stretch to make it like an 18 point game, um, Andre Drummond had a technical foul in that run. Uh, this was really one of the worst games Drummond's played this season. Uh, it was, without a doubt, the worst game Reggie Jackson has played this season. He was 0 for 9 from the floor. Uh, I think he had two points and a rebound and three assists or something. Just just a, a really poor game. Um, for something that is uh, basically like a measuring stick of sorts for this team, um, it was mm-hmm. pretty disappointing to, to see them come out as flat as they did and, and really never... Uh, mount much of a challenge until uh pretty late in the game just too late really certainly and then at home too it was a chance like you said it's a measuring stick and uh yeah i watched some of this game and uh all i could tell you is that aaron baines to me is the x factor and of course it's five points a game and five rebounds people were being snarky with me on twitter but um it's just he's physical and he can test shots and he can take charges and he can set screens and he can make passes it's like all I kept seeing from him was the guy that did all the little things that were really hurting the Pistons, and uh, and it kind of felt like Drummond uh, was was sort of suffering from that. What do you think on the Celtics side, just by watching that, about this big lineup, by the way, with having Horford and Bain in starting lineup? I really like that lineup against, especially against teams that can size up against them. Um, Bain's played for the Pistons last year and the year before, and uh, the Pistons really miss him. Um, so. Uh, I, I think that, um, that that big lineup with, with Baines to provide some uh, interior muscle and size and Horford to, to do all the things that Al Horford does, um, I think that that's, that's a real problem for some teams. Yeah, I mean, and Horford, okay, we also have this big argument, maybe you can help me settle it, is, you know, who's the better player? Who's better? Who's the best player in the Celtics between Horford and Kyrie? I kind of think it's silly because it just seems like it's Kyrie. But you know what? You watch Horford out there. And I totally understand what they what they're saying. So, what's your take on that question or that debate? You know, I think at a glance you just figure Kyrie because he's got all the skill. He's he's the uh, he's the scoring flair on this team, you know. But then Al Horford just does everything well. Um, he's perhaps the best defender on this team, uh, or you know, top three at the very least. Uh, he's a great playmaker. Uh, he just kind of makes everybody better and. Um, 
So maybe Kyrie is the better player, but I think maybe Al Horford is um, for this Celtics team, probably just the, maybe the best fit. And I think he'd probably be the best fit um, of the two of them on, on most teams. For sure. So well, let's talk about some. Yeah, I know it is. And, you know, certainly skilled wise, it's Kyrie without question, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, you know, the, the Brad Stevens is, has got a really nice team, capital T team here. Um, and I, and I'm anxious to see how they match up against the Cavaliers and into the playoffs. Now that's going to work, but what are some of the bright spots of the Pistons that you saw today? Um, Anthony Tolliver was really good. Um, he, uh, I think he played, I'm checking this here to make sure, but he played 22 minutes, scored 15 points mm-hmm. on nine shots. And for a team that shot 33% from the field for the entire game, um, you know, that's one of the few bright spots. Uh, Boban was pretty good in a few minutes. Um, Eric Moreland, uh, he, he just basically doesn't score, period. Um, but he, uh, he extended some possessions. He made life miserable around the rim for the Celtics when he was on the floor. Um, I, I'd say really those three were probably the only, only, uh, only real players that really shined for the Pistons. Um, you know, the usual cast of uh, characters starting lineup basically across the board was pretty dreadful. Um, Tobias Harris had a couple, a couple nice shots towards the end that sort of, um, narrowed the margin a little bit, but, you know, again, it, it was just too little too late, but, um, sure. I think those three guys in particular were, were, uh, really the only, the only players that stood out for the Pistons. Okay. And what's your prognosis here? And by the way, like the, you know, you had your couple starters had terrible games and yet they, they lost by 10. They were kind of, you know, hanging around a little bit, but what's your prognosis, I suppose, for the rest of the season, Where, what's going to happen with the Pistons and what's going to, they, they, what are they going to get in the playoffs? What are they going to do in the playoffs? How far are they going to get? Um, you know, they came through this really tough stretch where they played six really challenging teams in a row. Um, and they lost, with the exception of the very first game against the Wizards, they lost all of them by uh, just a few points. Um, you know, if you if you look at Avery Bradley, if he shoots more than 35, 37%, I think, from the floor over the, the middle three games, you probably have a different uh, a different story uh, over these, these last few games. It's kind of tough to tell because right now they're at a real low point. Um, they've, they've looked pretty badly, but they've also played poorly and still kept, like you said, pretty close with good teams. Um, so I'm, I think most Piston fans are, are lower on this team now than they were, uh, say a week and a half ago. Um, you, you right. know, I, I thought maybe coming into the stretch there, maybe like a low fifties win team, maybe they're a little bit closer to the, uh, the original upper end um, estimation of them, which is maybe mid forties and wins. Which I okay. think is, uh, it's, it's progress. <laughs> sure. Well, we'll have to see. But this was great progress to actually interact with you today and get a, good, a great breakdown of the game. Uh, tell everybody out there how they can find you and where you are on the internet to uh, like read your stuff. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Duncan Smith MBA. My cat's trying to jump on here. Um, he doesn't have a Twitter. And find my stuff on the Athletic Detroit and on uh, B-Ball Breakdown. Of course, I've got a few pieces up there. Uh, now, including one about how uh, how great Reggie Jackson has played lately. So um, that was well-timed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, you know what? Maybe it'll yeah. spurn him out for the next game, so we'll see. But, Maybe. again, Duncan, thank you so much for bringing, uh, for bringing your insight into this stuff, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. Got it. It's that time of the year again, you know, where you have to buy your family and friends gifts. And I know how impossible it could feel to find the right present especially if you're looking for something both thoughtful and practical. Well, look no further, because Harry's Razors offers precisely what you're looking for this holiday season. Over 3 million guys have switched to Harry's, primarily because of their high-quality precision blades, but also because they come in different colors, custom gift sets that fit specific needs, and a personal engraving option. This holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts. Their gift sets were built with your guy in mind, so you'll know he'll love them. Sets come with German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shave gel that smells amazing, special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles, and personalize it with some engraving. No matter what you're looking for, Harry's has you covered. Sets come ready to gift in beautifully designed gift boxes. Gift sets start at just 10 bucks. They make great stocking stuffers and even get something for yourself with Harry's. As a special offer for fans, we partner with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com slash coachnick. 
This offer is only available for the holidays. So this holiday, give Harry's and give Handsome. Shipping cutoffs end this week, so act now to get your gifts delivered in time. To get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com slash coachnick right now. That's harrys.com slash coachnick. All right. Okay, so that was that. We have our next uh, uh, game, which is Denver, Indiana. And that will re- that means that the one and only James Hollis, Snotty Drippin, is going to join us today and talk about what he thought of that game and if we uh, we press the button here and um, I hit this button, he will join us in a few seconds. And I'm very excited to hear what he thought about the game because it was spirited and um, it went down to the wire in overtime. And uh, James Hollis, welcome. What up, Coach? Um, this, Yo. Is Victor Ol- this is the Victor Oladipo show. It is, isn't it? Yeah, he was. Uh, he went for a career high forty-seven. He kept him in the game uh, early on. Looked like Denver was going to run away with it. Uh, Wilson Chandler came out the gate smoking hot. I think he scored like uh, like eleven points, twelve points in the first quarter. Um, and then uh, Miles Turner had a little trouble getting it going, but uh, uh, my guy Gary Harris was playing well. Um, yeah, they were down. Uh, uh, I think it was a little over three minutes left to go, and I, I thought the game was over. I pretty much stopped watching, and then the next time I turn back, it's overtime, and I see that uh, Indiana's up ten. And I went back to take a look. They finished the game on a twenty to two run, twenty to two run, and uh, I mean, I mean, what, what do you expect from Denver? Denver's really struggling right now. Uh, they they're missing they're missing Jokic, of course. They're missing Millsap. You know, um, and Wilson Chandler just got back from a hip injury a couple of games ago, or I'm not sure if it was a hip. He got back from injury a couple of days ago. Um, they, the real issue with Denver today was uh, the kid. Uh, what's wrong with me? What's his name? I got it right Trey here. Trey Lyles. Trey was actually a star of the day. He he went off. Uh, he's been playing oh. very well since. Yeah, Trey's been playing very well since uh, Jokic went down. Even though yeah. I'm, last couple of games he was last couple of games he was struggling. He was shooting 27 from the and tonight he exploded for 25. Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. He, Jamal Murray's been carrying the load since uh, since Yoki went down. He's been averaging uh, up until tonight. He was averaging 16 points a game, probably even more than that because last game uh, he only had two points. But uh, he's been playing really well coming into tonight, and they just locked him down. They didn't let him do anything tonight. Um, mm-hmm. But the story of the day, Victor, Victor Oladipo. Uh, Oladipo's been playing like a an all star, and tonight he really put up with the bona fides with 47, I think, seven rebounds, six assists. Uh, he was getting to the hole. He's showing that pull-up jumper, and people can say what they want about you know why what happened with Westbrook last year. This was he wasn't the same player. He looks like a completely different player. He's hunting out contact. He's absorbing contact and finishing through contact. Last year, and the knock on Depot was as athletic as he was, he didn't like going to the hole and he didn't like trying to finish over and through people. And this year, he's he's just he's welcoming it and relishing it. It seems like since he bulked up a little bit this offseason, so. He was uh he was a decider. Uh, Miles Turner t- played well. Uh, Sabonis did play well, but I mean without without that forty seven from Depot, this is a blowout. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I was watching it on my phone while I'm on the on the uh, bike in the in the gym, and so it's small. And I, I mean, I swear to God, it looks like Michael Jordan the way he came down down that stretch. He must have scored. I have to look it up because I'm going to do a breakdown of it for tomorrow. So stay tuned. But mm-hmm. I, he must have had six, eight, ten points like down the stretch, and like in a row, every possession is coming down and, and shooting and scoring and looking that comfortable. And I'll just yeah, I'll comment on that too because there's always this kind of subtext about Russ and what happened last year, and I, I wish we could just live in like he's in Indiana, that's what he's doing now. But I think the bottom line is he, he would never have been able to do this in OKC, regardless, right? Like with Russ, he's just not going to ever have that role. So whatever well, happened and whatever he did this summer, like this is what he's now is what he's been able to do. Here's the thing: last year they tried beginning of the year to get him to run the second unit. They try to get him to, hey, we need you to go in there and be aggressive. And uh, Coach Donovan, we can find the tape repeatedly. We just want Victor to be yeah. aggressive. We want him to look for a shot. We need Because they needed that secondary score. And he just never really clicked it to that guy. He was he was fine playing off for us. But once Russ, they left him in the game by himself to try to handle the ball, he, he wasn't very good at it. I mean, that's just plain and simple. He wasn't. And you can say it's about confidence. And, you know, maybe he just didn't think that was his role. But, I mean, this year he's just unfettered. Yeah. I mean, it also could be a rhythm like, you know, you're so used to Russ with his 30 whatever percent usage rate. And then all of a sudden when he disappears and, and you, then you have to do it, 
it's very difficult. Like, I don't know hardly any guys who can kind of turn it off and on like that uh, and really be that kind of guy. So that's another, another you know, I don't blame him for, for struggling in that role either. But um, whatever it is, whenever he was eating for breakfast this morning, he should keep doing it because it was really, really impressive. And I'm really excited for him to continue to do well. I love those stories where a guy will struggle for, like, this is years now, right? And, like, he is well, kind so of clicking. Yeah. He never really he, he never really struggled. He was underperforming for his draft position, but he was a good player. He was averaging 16, like 16, 4 and 4. Uh his best year he averaged like almost 18. Then last year he averaged like 16. That's not yeah. we expected him to be a, a big time player. And he was he looked more like a complimentary player. And so he he wasn't horrible. Last year he started right. his career high from three up until that point. It's just that this year he is on a whole different level. And this is more what you expected of a number two pick. So Maybe it just took him long enough to develop, and we, we'll never know what it was, but whatever he is doing, like you said, he has to just keep on doing it. Great, and that's a great point, too. Uh, a couple of things that really catch my eye that I love to watch when I'm looking at the Nuggets is, you know, Gary Harris really just uh, – I love the way he plays. He didn't shoot fantastically today, but he just makes plays. He plays defense. He's really coming up as one of those top two guards in the West, even though it's a long list of, of them. Um, a guy who I just, you know, I like watching. Will Barton, not so much, but he actually played really well with 21 and nine assists and six boards. Um, they just couldn't hang on. I just, you know, it was an onslaught. Uh, anything else on the Pacers that stood out? I know you mentioned a couple other players. Anything else that uh, jumped out at you? Uh, from the Pacers, let's see. Um, I mean, it's good to see. Uh, our guy uh, have a, his concussion. Yeah, I said I'm saying Miles Turner since the concussion had been kind of up and down. He had a really strong game tonight. Um, yeah, and uh, again, uh, Lance Stevenson, Lance made him dance off the bench. He's a, I like him, man. He's he's. I, I mean, every team of course about Indiana. Something about Indiana brings out the best in Lance. And brings out the best in, in Oladipo, man. Maybe they're the they're the guard. They're the wing whisperers in in uh, in in, in uh, Indiana. Yeah. I mean, Lance is like one of those uh, patients that's dying and not dying like that. He's just up and he's down. He's up and down. Although I will say, I've, I've watched like three or four Pacer games this year, and it does seem like he is a little bit more consistent. There's something there's a little bit more, and it's, it's like not trying to do too much. It's really what he just needs to, to do. And um, for whatever reason, it might be worth – I'd like to know the tell-all book of what happened when he left Indiana and that whole thing because that just became a mess pretty quick. Uh, and then coming back, he's kind of so, – yeah, you're right. He's going to fit back into the spot, and it's working, even though totally different rosters, different coach and everything. But um, something's there. So what do we think about Indiana? Yeah. Are, we, are they going to compete in the playoffs? Uh, I mean, who knows about the playoffs yet, uh, but they do they're, – they're pretty deep. They have uh, some versatility. Uh, I know that beginning of the year we were asking which was more real, Orlando or Indiana. Well, obviously Indiana seems like they're they're a real deal team, and they're gonna they're gonna be around. They're young. They have uh, some real good contracts. Uh, this is uh, I mean, this is the best outcome they could have expected. You know, when just a few months ago they seemed like the world was ending because Paul George wanted to be out of there, and it's just it's so it's I don't know if irony is the word, but to, to see the Oklahoma City's Thunder struggle the way they are and compare it to what Indiana's doing. That's got to be a really good feeling for, for Pacer fans. Oh, yeah. That, like that trade, which, yeah, it seemed like a steal is now, you know, we'll, we'll have to see because, uh, yeah, that, that, that could be a win for them uh, as we move on uh, forward, which would be yeah, great for them. It's the biggest surprise of the season, I think, right? Uh, I would say, I mean, I can't, yeah, I guess it ha it has to be the biggest surprise of the season. Now, Paul George used to do this in MVP candidate for the first two months, and then he'd hit, a, he'd hit like a wall. Let's see if Oladipo, right. with this increased usage, increased role, if he can maintain this level of production throughout a, a whole 82-game season. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're, and you're right about that wall, too. We'll have to see how that goes. Uh, how many minutes is Oladipo playing uh, per game? That's another interesting question because that, that would probably speak to that wall you're talking about. I mean, as we do this and press a button here, I'll tell you right now, he's averaging uh, – 30, oh, 33 and a half minutes per game. So that's that's a good sign that he's not going to get worn out too quick. So we'll have to find out. But, uh, James, great to have you on. Uh, just lay it down for everybody where we can find you, where we see you, and all that stuff on online. Of course, I'm repping B-Ball Breakdown. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Snotty Drippin'. Uh, and then you can find me at Real Ball Insiders. And we do other – I pod with you guys and I pod over at the Bod Pod over with Chris Axman. Oh, nice. Yes. The uh, 16 Wins a Ring uh, network. I suppose oh, no, called, no. Right? no, 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 16 Wins a Ring here. No, sir. What's Almighty it called? Baller. What's Almighty. Oh, Almighty Baller. Almighty Baller. Baller. Whoops. Yes. Sorry, Chris. 
Um, but anyway, yes, they find you. Everybody were there, and you also, yeah, you find them on, on our uh, podcast. We gotta get you back in the pod soon and go over some stuff. So uh, I will catch you on the DMs uh, and make that happen. So everybody, follow James Nani Drippin and uh, James. I'll catch up to you real soon. Thanks, Coach. You in? I'm in. You? <laughs> you know I'm in. All right. That was the Denver and Indiana game, and we do have a really special guest coming on. I'm hoping he's going to drop in soon, uh, and that would be Jim Peterson, who is the color commentator for the Timberwolves. He said he was going to come on, and I'm actually um, texting with him right now, and I'm, we'll have to find out if he's going to jump in here really soon. Let me see here. He's not quite in here yet, but uh, I'll wait for him. So maybe what we'll do is we'll go right to Shane Young right now and bring him in to talk about the uh, Philly and the uh, New Orleans game uh, while we're waiting for Jim to come in. So. Let's do this, and we will do – Shane is coming on. Shane Young, a uh, contributor to bballbreakdown.com, and he's all over the place as well for other different places. And, Shane, thank you for coming to us from your dark basement. Uh-oh, we don't hear you. Uh-oh, uh, have you set up your mic, uh, or maybe it's your – you don't need headphones necessarily, but um, there's a setting. See if you can – I don't know. Uh, choose your mic. Can you see it? Live TV, folks. I'm going to bring up the um, while we're talking here, and it, while he figures it out, because I'm not muting you, but you definitely can play around. Press press some buttons. I'm going to bring up the um, the little the little box score here, and we can start to talk about that. Are you there, Shane? Is it? We hear you now. Uh oh. Can you hear me? Yes, there he is. I knew you'd figure it okay. out. Beautiful. Yeah. So we have the Pelicans beating the Sixers, and I think a frustrating game for the Sixers. Break it down. What are your initial thoughts? What do you think? What did you see? You know, this was a really interesting and weird game for the most part. Um, when I noticed, well, obviously, Joel Embiid, we have to talk about that first. He was he set his fifth game of the season with back tightness uh, today. And, you know, it, being the fifth game of the season, you would think that it would be a lot more. But he's pl- he's played more games, I think, than a lot of people would have expected this far. I thought maybe he would sit out a few more. But uh, only five misses so far. That's a good sign. But, uh you know, this matchup was one that Embiid probably definitely really wanted to play, um, you know, because mm-hmm. he had Cousins and Davis going against them, too, the three or four best bigs in the league. But uh, New Orleans actually led by 11 at half. The first half was pretty entertaining. It was just, you know, run and gun, really fast-paced style. Um, I guess since Embiid's not there to, you know, post up a lot, which has always surprised me about, about Philly this year, that they lead the league in passing, yet Joel Embiid has the most post-ups per game in the league. So, I mean, that's kind of a weird dynamic that you would think that the, the passing would die down as you post up more and takes more dribbles. Uh, but yeah, New Orleans led by 11 at the half. And uh, currently the sixth best first-half team in the league. I mean, it, it, they've been really dominant in the first half of games. And then the, the narrative stuck true today as they lost the lead in the third quarter. I think they got outscored 40-21, to 21, yeah, on the screen, 40-21 in the third by, by Philly, which in that third quarter – what I noticed was the offense looked horrible, as predicted, horrible in the three minutes without AD and Cousins on the floor. That's what they closed the third quarter with, and it was it was just not good at all. And, you know, it's games like this. Obviously, they came back and won, but it's games like this that were if they would have choked that away and the other night in Sacramento that whenever the playoffs come down to the wire in the, in the Western Conference, it's going to be tough for anyone to get in the eighth spot, even though it's kind of down this year. These are the games you have to grind out, the, the, the games that you're supposed to win against undermanned competition. Um, what I noticed from Philly's end was probably more interesting to me. Um, in the third quarter, we saw in the third quarter, we saw a lot of J.J. Reddick coming off double stagger screens. They run a lot of curl action for him, which I know you love. He, his off ball action is some of the best. It's up there with Corver, what, what J.J. can do. And he had probably his second best game as a sixer. Um, he had a game. He dropped 31 in Indiana or against Indiana earlier this year. But I mean, this one, he looked fluid. He looked ready to attack. Um, and, you know, New Orleans defense didn't have any answers for him for most of the game. Uh, but another thing, Nick, Coach Nick, that I want to ask you about is Ben Simmons, because we have, I, haven't, I haven't got the chance to talk to you live yet. So it's pretty cool. But he is so aggressive <laughs> on the drive and he doesn't even look like a rookie out there. His feel and IQ, it, if you would, if you watch him play, you would think he's a four-year guy. 
Yeah, you know, I agree. He looks just like that. Although I will say this, I watched the game for a little bit, so it was a little bit out of context, but maybe it's at the very end or whatever, kind of maybe the game was sort of decided at that point. But Simmons looked a little bit disjointed to me. He was like getting his passes tipped and sort of throwing them away and a little bit just like sort of distracted. And I wonder if there's moments like that that happen to him where, um, you know, he just sort of doesn't uh, – he doesn't stay completely focused and it drops off. Now, you really can't say that for a guy who had 27-5 and 10 assists in a game. Yeah, it's, it's, Did it's you weird. see any of that during the game? Uh, I mean, there's a there's a few moments in the first half that I saw that it, it takes him a little bit to really get adjusted to the defense he's going against, which is – he's only, what, played 30 games, 25 games as a, as a NBA player, so it's – it's predicted, but um, I, I would say that in the third quarter, which was I caught all the third quarter and all the fourth, and it was it was impressive that he was making the right reads. Like he caught, there was one possession that JJ Reddick ran a pick and roll with Amir Johnson, and Simmons was in the corner. And as soon as JJ came off that screen and roll, he dished to Simmons. Simmons one touch passed into the middle on the rolling Amir, and it was just it mm-hmm. was just awesome stuff that a, a lot of rookies would catch that and be late on the pass, or they would yeah. just not make it altogether. And um, he is very high in, in terms of facilitation mode, and I, I love that about him. But obviously the, the story of the game, though, the fourth quarter, it, it, what was impressive to me, the Pelicans only had one lineup that played over 10 minutes, and that was their starters, obviously. But the, the lineup that did the most damage was whenever they subbed out um, – whenever, whenever they played Holiday, Rondo, Etwan Moore, Dante Cunningham, and Anthony Davis. So no boogie on the floor. And those eight minutes, Coach Nick, uh, 181 offensive rating in those eight minutes, which was the second most used lineup. So I mean, they they really made their mark. They really made their mark in this game when the Cousins was on the bench. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Etwan Moore. Like he's he's probably my favorite Pelican to watch. Um, the way he can just shoot, the way he, the way he can just uh, catch and shoot off the corners. I mean, I, I love the way he plays. And um, he's been impressive on both ends to me. But um, what do you what are you seeing from Boogie Cousins this year? Because the, there's a weird theme to where when he's on the bench, they they still do well in some moments. You know, I can't deny like the numbers are there, the dominance is there. You see all of it, but there's just something frustrating about watching him play. And it's it wears on the teammates. It has to because there's always a sense of something wrong going on with him, right? It's, it, there's always a sort of a negative cloud following around, and it's either the referees or it's a, an opponent. And so, um, you know, he I, like I don't know if I want him on my team, honestly. Like I would I, I would love the 25 and 10, whatever it is, but um, I just don't know if I if it, you know if it's in the long run the thing that's going to lead you to success. And I'm not surprised that you're going to tell me that. Yeah, when he's on the bench, they still do pretty well with AD alone. Um, as yeah. the, that's the future of the league anyway. Although let's not let's not hide the fact that you know uh, Boogie is the future of the league as well. He's a, he can shoot threes, he can drive, he can post up, and all that stuff. So. I don't know. I can't get a handle on him, and it's probably worthy of like doing a big video to finally express like some thoughts and stare at him for a while. But does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, as someone in the chat, um, I believe it's Landon Duvall, unless it's backwards. He was mentioning how the lack of boxing out, and that's something that was a big theme in this. Like Davis and Boogie, you would think would be one of the most dominant offensive re- or uh, defensive rebounding, both offensive and defensive rebounding teams and duos, but. They were getting smashed for for a good portion of this game in terms of the rebounding margin, and and that's what really allowed Philly to have some second chance second chance opportunities in third quarter, and uh, and Ben Simmons was feasting on everything out there. So I mean, it was funny. Our our good friend Mason Ginsburg was was saying how maybe Rian Oshik to get some boards because he's been more valuable in that aspect. So it's it's kind of weird with New Orleans. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me say this, uh, as I have a tab open, it's making noise. Uh, that's ESPN, shame on you. <laughs> Which one is it? Uh, is it this one? I muted them all. Oh, here it is. Sorry. All right. Um, but I do want to mention that one thing I really like about the, about the Sixers right now as we wrap up is uh, the trade for uh, for, um, for Booker. Uh, yeah. Really going to help them. Really a, a nice fit for them and really energy doing all the things. And on a better team, he's going to – although, you know, the Nets aren't – weren't uh, weren't a bad team either. Uh, I really like his fit. I think they're going to really love him there. Oh yeah, he hasn't got a chance to play with Embiid yet. Uh, played twenty five minutes, twenty four minutes tonight, something like that, and uh, had a pretty efficient game offensively. Uh, one, one more thing, Nick, about uh, about New Orleans side here. Um, it, it was hard to take away anything because Embiid was wasn't out there. I would really want to see them going against Davis and, and Boogie. Um, Drew Holiday just might be the best twenty eight percent three point shooter 
the league has seen. Because like it is just it's astounding that he shoots twenty percent from three this year, but gets hot in the best moments that New Orleans needs him and really elevated them into that victory. So um, the games that I've watched, he's probably shot forty five percent from three. And you know then and then other times when he's playing against playing down to his competition, um, twenty eight percent this year. So well, that's always been his issue. We did a thing like two, maybe two, three, or four years ago when he was with the Sixers and the top 20 scores, and we looked at it, how they did against the top defenses and the bottom defenses, and he was the number one guy that was feasting on the bad teams and then doing really badly against the good teams, which means you can't necessarily rely on, rely on him in the yeah. playoffs and uh, or just want to rely on him for consistency. So I, I suspect there's probably something still there about that, at least the up and down nature, and that's what also make, you know is a – could be concerning for them uh, as they go forward. But either way, great breakdown, great breakdown, great insights. Thanks for doing a part two with us to finish up your thoughts. And uh, tell everyone out there where they can find you, where they can read you and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, guys. Uh, first, thanks, Coach Nate, for bringing me on. It's been three years overdue. And um, you can find me at YoungNBA on Twitter, my stuff on Bebop Breakdown. Got some stuff coming out soon in the next couple of days on the Toronto Raptors. So definitely check that stuff out. And uh, at FanRag Sports, where I do some other side writing. Awesome. Well, Shane, thanks very much for joining us. We'll do it again, and we'll do it often. This is great, and uh, we'll check you soon. Okay, now we have the last game on the schedule. Boom, we're running through all these quickly, and we got my buddy, Tommy D., to talk about the Knicks game today, which I'm sure he'll be excited to talk about as soon as I close this window out and press this button and that button. And we're going to bring him on. Tommy is the Knicks expert, the triangle expert, the guy that uh, we like to go over on in, uh, uh, privately about the triangle and, and reminisce about that. But here we are with his green headphones, Tommy D. Luck the Irish, not the Celtics. I'm in, Coach. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm in, too. Great to hear you. Great to see you. So we have the game here, and the uh, if I call up the uh, the right tab, which is here, uh, where did they go? There we go. The Knicks pulled it out, one eleven, one hundred seven, and we had some some highlights. So what were your takeaways to start off? Well, if you enjoyed free throws um, and, and a lot of whistles and stoppage of clocks for maybe some head scratching calls, uh, this was the game for you. Uh, and you know, if you if you were a Knicks fan and wanted to relax this weekend thinking that you were playing the two worst teams in the Eastern Conference who had a combined at the at the time I think nine wins or so in the in the Bulls and the Hawks uh, and you thought you're going to get two easy ones uh, that obviously wasn't the case so uh, you know it's it's the, the Knicks have done well here early on they've played uh, uh, the majority of the games at MSG they've had some some good wins there um, playing without Hardaway Jr. has been a challenge for them tonight. Uh, Doug McDermott was able to step up. Jeff Hornacek has said it a few times here over the last couple games. You know, it's always about the next man up and who's going to be the guy to step forward. Uh, McDermott certainly was really good tonight. I want you to really zone in on McDermott and Kyle O'Quinn because I looked at it about a week ago or so, and McDermott was shooting something like 80, 89% on passes just from O'Quinn. Uh, and sort of vice versa, but they had three really nice exchanges. Uh, McDermott does a great job cutting baseline. Uh, you know how much I like the triangle, how much I respect the triangle. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, I want to, I want to make sure that I, I destroy any narratives out there from, from trolls maybe who are watching. Um, my favorite offense really is the flex. It's an offense that we ran in high, when I was in high school and played in high school when I coached in high school. It's an unstoppable offense. It's an offense that I wish that they ran more. I wish Mike Woodson ran it more when they had Carmelo uh, really feasting in his office on both on both pinch posts, uh, specifically on the left side. They could never get J.R. Smith to cut enough. They could never get Shumpert to cut enough, probably because they didn't understand the basics of the, of the flex offense. Hornacek's run a ton of it this year, and when McDermott comes in the game, he really does a great job of, of sort of uh, running that baseline cut. Um, getting a lot of finishes in N1. Speaking of lineups, you were talking to Shane earlier. The Knicks uh, really stretched out the lead early fourth quarter with Ron Baker, Nilakina, um, Lance Thomas. Beasley fouled out in about five minutes, so he, he was only on there for, for a little bit. Uh, Porzingis, and I'm trying to remember, and McDermott. That was the five that uh, took them, really stretched their lead out and uh, – Atlanta made it close at the end with a couple of whistles. 
Um, but all in all, it was a pretty solid win for a team that's playing without a guy uh, who's uh, their second leading scorer. And I looked at this note too, Coach, before he got hurt. Hardaway Jr. and Porzingis were both in the top six in clutch points in the fourth quarter. Uh, we all know that's you know the, the game under five minutes with uh, you know within five points, give or, you know either side within five points. So uh, not playing with a player of uh, Hardaway's caliber uh, who was playing well. Remember the Toronto game uh, almost had the the triple double. Um, they were able to get a good win, get back to five hundred. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing about Nilakina is that I swear to God, whenever I turn the TV on into the middle of the Knicks game, he hits a three. And I know he's not even shooting that well from three. I'm, I'm going to check it right now. He's shooting, you know, 27.5%. He's not even taking hardly any, but it's weird. I swear to God, it happens that way. And uh, every game I've seen, he looks better and better. He really is. He seems like he's getting more and more comfortable. And um, I don't know. I mean, he's got these long arms and he can really play defense at that position. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what we ultimately are going to expect from him. What, what do we see him, you know, uh, three years from now as he develops? What's he, who is he going to be? I was very lucky the other night. I was at the Garden, and I was sitting with uh, John Hollinger, uh, who's been an idol and, you know, uh, just a hero of mine for a very long time, and um, had the opportunity to talk to him through, uh, through a really good friend of mine. And um, what, when I zoned in on Nilakina the first thing that jumped out at me is, okay, he's 19. You know, do you see anything about, you know, is the, is the game too big for him? Is he overwhelmed? The first thing that jumped out to me was his composure. Obviously his length is, is why he's in the league and his, his IQ and his ability to um, defend really three positions. He can handle the ball. He plays well off the ball. Uh, I agree with you. He, he surprised me at just how good he is off the catch. You know, his shooting numbers are low because, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't set himself all the time. You know, he throws up some runners, you know, when guys just aren't open and it's kind of, you know, at the end of the shot clock and kind of just has to get the ball up. Um, but he can, I think what's most exciting for me is that if, if they do add that sort of dynamic dribble drive player that everybody thinks that they passed on in, in Dennis Smith, who I think, you know, there are two or three guys in this coming draft now who are probably just as good. I mean, if you watch Sexton last night in that Alabama-Arizona game, I mean, that kid's incredible. It just seems that year over year, that type of player just comes out in droves. Uh, but in the media, everybody wants to say, hey, listen, you know, the Knicks whiffed on this you know, new point guard that they haven't had in so long. Nilekin is a rotation guy. I think he'll morph into a good leading guard. But at the very least, in the meantime, he's going to be able to play off the ball and then defend three, maybe four positions. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited about that. That's the case. And I think that the Knicks have a nice little team here. Uh, are they going to just kind of hover around 500 the whole year and maybe sneak into the playoffs? You know, it's funny because they've played 17 home games, only nine road games, and they're one and eight on the road. So people say, well, they're going to have to play more road games. And, you know, that's going to really balance a lot of things out. But when you look at kind of their schedule as they, you know, head in towards uh, the first of the year, their road games really aren't that difficult. They they play at home uh, Tuesday against Lonzo Ball and the Lakers come into town, which is obviously a winnable game. Then they're at Brooklyn, which is a winnable game. And their other road games are Charlotte, which is winnable. Uh, Detroit, obviously a tough team, but uh, potentially a winnable game. Uh, back in Chicago on the 27th, right after Christmas, we know Ben Simmons comes to town uh, with the Sixers on Christmas Day to the Garden. And here's the point on Simmons which you guys were talking about before. I, I saw the stats on him the other day. The fastest player in the league who also who plays fastest with the ball and leads in drives per game. So at 6'11", the guy's the fastest player with the ball and drives at pretty much every possession. Not sure how you stop that guy. Maybe you just got to keep fouling him and send him to the line. Um, but that's, that's the uh, Ben Simmons aside there. Uh, again, in Chicago, and then San Antonio Pelicans to kind of end out the year. So they're going to play road games, um, but not the toughest road game. So they'll hover around 500 here for a little while, assuming Porzingis stays healthy uh, and assuming Jared Jack doesn't run out of gas and assuming they get back Hardaway Jr. here uh, to be able to contribute and be that second scorer. Now, is uh, Willie going to be just relegated to the bench? I, I love what I saw last year in the little bits of time. Uh, he's just, he's just in, the, is in the doghouse, or what's going on with him? Yeah, they're, Hornacek wants to see him earn, earn – well, let's put it this way. O'Quinn has played well, 
Cantor's played very well. And then where are the other minutes, right? I mean, you're, you're really only going to play those two guys at the five, and then Porzingis is going to play 30-plus minutes. So, you know, where, where's Willie getting these big minutes? I mean, Cantor can take nights off. You know, then you've got Noah, who's, who's about ready to come back and get minutes. You heard Scott Perry say the other day, they're not going to buy him out. They think he could still contribute. I think, no, I think Noah can definitely contribute. So, you know, the good news with the Knicks, with, Will, with Billy, is that they don't have to make a decision on him yet. Uh, I think they, they had an opportunity to uh, trade him to Denver on draft night and, and target to, um, Donovan Mitchell, who's someone who they like. They like Nilakina and Don, Donovan Mitchell, one, two. I can tell you that as a fact. Um, the fact that they weren't able to pull any deal off for Mitchell uh, is something that I think uh, probably they're kicking themselves, at, certainly at this point. Um, yeah. But I think they may, if, if they want to make a decision with Billy, it'll be to bring in the, you know, kind of veteran point guard, you know, is it a Rubio type or um, somebody along those lines who uh, can come in and, and be that stopgap, you know, in the meantime, uh, as Nilakina and then if they draft another young guard next year, um, they have a glut up top. Do you want to trade O'Quinn? Do you want to package Courtney Lee and Willie and O'Quinn and see if you can get a a better player. I, I don't see those type of deals on the horizon. Um, and, you know, there's still plenty of time before the trade deadline. So for now, it is what it is with Hernan Gomez. Yeah, that's too bad. I think he's, he, you know, he just needs experience and time out there. And we're seeing his brother over in Denver, which would have been funny if they got together there, uh, you know, having some success as well in little fits and starts. So they just, you know, those are the kind of guys who need time. Um, so we'll see. You know, it's a long season and crazy things happen where all of a sudden he's thrust into a big role. You never know. But, uh, again, I, I think you're right. I think that they'll, they'll hover around, uh, you know, 500. It seems like, you know, barring uh, terrible injuries. Uh, and you know what? They'll sneak into the playoffs and – you know, they'll, they'll probably lose the Cavs or lose the Celtics, or maybe they'll get, win a game or two. And it's it's something to be rejoiceful about, I suppose, because uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time since the Knicks even made the playoffs. Well, when was the last time with Melo? 2012-2013, uh, losing to the yeah. Pacers when Melo tried to dunk on Hibbert and that didn't work out so well. Um, for I think they're in a position now where, you know, they if they do make the playoffs – you know, that's great experience for Porzingis. It's great experience for the young players. That's certainly a goal. I like how Scott Perry's been vocal about the fact that, you know, this, this idea of institutional losing uh, is hard to get out of your building. That, that's, that's the stuff that you want to hear from your leadership. That's the stuff that you want to hear from your front office. You know, not in a way where, you know, Phil Jackson saying, you know, he thinks that this is a playoff team. You know, when you're playing Jason Smith and um, Shane, Shane Larkin, you know, it's, it's nice to be optimistic. And trust me, I'm as optimistic as anybody and I get killed for it every day. Um, but I liked hearing Scott Perry say, you know, we're, we're trying to win. And they listen, they have the guy in Porzingis, as long as he can stay healthy, who can win games for you, you know, night in and night out, at least at home. Uh, and, you know, if you're in that 38 to 42 win range, then you're probably, you know, in years past, you would be guaranteed a spot. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year. Um, but at the very least, if you do make it, you have picks if you want to really move up in the draft uh, and and try to they have other assets, but also picks. We talked about Billy um, to move into the you know back end of the lottery if you target a player that you really like. Um, so I think if you finish in that 15, 16 range, you can move into that you know eight nine range in the draft if you really like the player that's there to go get him and you trade a future first pick. Okay. Well, you know, we got, to finish this up, we have a question from Vinny, who's been waiting patiently in our room here, uh, which, by the way, you know, in the next show is when you we bla- uh, blast out the link to this show. You should come over here. You can ask questions either via video or audio or by text like Vinny just did. And here's his question. Hi, guys. Will the Knicks become buyer or sellers at the deadline considering all the skilled bigs they have? They're probably the best big men team in the league from top to bottom. 